Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 99. Today's episode is a different one than one we've ever done before. I got to interview Elfie Cohn, who is pretty famous in his work around unconditional love and moving away from things like punishment reward systems. He is very outspoken, and I find his message to be kind of intense. And we had a half an hour, a very limited time for the interview. And to be honest, I found it really hard to get a word in. It was definitely a different interview than anyone I've ever done before. I've been holding on to this interview because there's so much about his message that I love. And also, I think his delivery can come with this idea of perfection and that it has to be this one right way or you're ruining your kid. And I just don't believe that that's true. So I've been holding on to it, not sure what to do. And I reached out to y'all and said like, hey, this is the deal. I have this interview and I don't feel comfortable releasing it the way that it is. I got an idea from one of you to pause the interview at different parts and give you my perspective and my thoughts on what he had said. So we did just that. This is something we've never done before, but I'm excited to get to share his approach mixed in with the seed approach here because there is some overlap and I think there's so much that's really awesome about what his work shows and what he's doing. And I want to be able to share that with y'all too. As you're tuning into this, there might be times where you feel discomfort. I felt discomfort during the interview. I want you to lean into that. I encourage you to like really sit with that discomfort and bring awareness to it. Where is it coming from? Is it from feelings of guilt? Are you feeling annoyed or frustrated? Do you feel like what he's saying makes sense, but in practice, it feels hard to do? Like... I, I just want you to lean into the feelings of discomfort and stay tuned. I dive in at the end to really analyze my overall perspective about this. So enjoy this one and get cozy with all the feelings that might come up as you tune in. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village 
a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass-Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with Elfie Cohn, who's an author and lecturer. Hi Elfie, how are you today? Nice to be here. It's nice to have you here. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your background and, and the work that you do? Um, I write books and articles about education, parenting, and human behavior more generally, and speak all over the place on these same topics, um, including books with names like Punished by Rewards and Unconditional Parenting and one for teachers called Beyond Discipline, among others, and continue to wrestle with these various ideas that challenge the conventional wisdom. I love it so much. We are here for challenging the conventional wisdom for sure. So let's dive right in. Can you start off by just explaining to us like the short and the long-term results of using punishment and reward? Let's get into the systems. Punishment and reward, first of all, are not opposites. They're not two different strategies. They're two sides of the same coin. Uh, and that coin doesn't buy very much. A punishment is where I say to a child, for example, do this or here's what I'm going to do to you. It's a threat. Reward says do this and you'll get that. Um, these are both ways of doing things to children to control them in order to get the result that we want. They are not ways of working with children to solve problems and to help kids turn out in a way that I think comports with our long-term goals for them to be happy, ethical, independent thinkers, compassionate, and so on. Punishments and rewards can only, at their best, get one thing, which is short-term compliance. If the punishment is severe enough or the reward is luscious and attractive enough, you can sometimes make somebody do what you want for now, but at an enormous cost. And part of the reason not the only reason, but part of the reason for that cost is that punishments and rewards are trapped on the surface dealing with behavior. Uh, I have sometimes suggested only partly tongue-in-cheek that the value of a resource for a teacher or a parent, like a seminar or a book, for example, or a video, is inversely related to the number of times the, the word behavior appears. <laughs> In other words, if you're focusing on the behavior, the action that you can see and measure, you're missing the child's reasons and motives and needs that inform the behavior. In fact, you're missing the child herself. 
This part made me think of our visual that we use where we have behavior on the outer ring of the circle. And beneath that, we have an emotion. We call it the secondary emotion. And then beneath that, the root emotion and at the core, the unmet need. So if you are seeing biting as the behavior, perhaps the secondary emotion is anger. Maybe beneath that at the root emotion is loneliness. And the unmet need could be a need for a connection or to feel seen. You can change a child's behavior by treating the child like a pet, offering a doggy biscuit for jumping through your hoops. But you have actually made things worse by that manipulative action that is occasioned by a short-sighted focus only on the, the tip of the iceberg, the behavior itself. And if we're going to help kids become good people and solve problems in a meaningful way, we have to completely move away from any version of punishments, including timeout, and any version of rewards, including positive reinforcement and good job. Okay. This part for me, I felt like there was shame here. It's this idea that there's one perfect way to do this. And I felt myself getting a little on the defensive. I want you to take this part and and recognize that he and I have different opinions here. His opinion is that there is one exact perfect way to do this and you can never do it another way. And that's just not how I see it. If sometimes you use a punishment reward system because it's what's working for you right now, that's fine. Give yourself grace. This is not about perfection. It's about intention. We can slowly build tools and work in more systems to support you in this journey. And I needed to pause here to say, give yourself grace and that the shame that was just mentioned and the voice in the good job uh, really made me cringe. Which is uh, basically a verbal doggy biscuit to train kids as if they were lab animals and instead shift to something along the lines of what I'm calling a working with approach, which takes a lot more effort and time and talent and care and especially courage. On the doggy biscuit note, I mean, another piece of shame here, but also I had a question. I, as I said in the intro, found it really hard to pop my questions in. We had a limited amount of time and he was quite long-winded, but I wondered here, for instance, a lot of workplaces if you meet your goal, you might get a bonus. If you reach a certain place, you might get a promotion. There are rewards in our everyday system. And I don't think that moving away from them entirely is the way to go. I think finding balance here and choosing when to use them is different than moving away from them altogether. One, another thing that really stood out to me here was really your focus on not the end product, right? Not the working for the A or the good job or that the end finish, but really talking about the process here and breaking that down. Uh, yes, although you could reframe that and say we're interested in the, 
the long-term outcome, not just the process, rather than the short-term one. Mm -hmm. So when I work with teachers or parents, I often begin by asking, how do you hope your, your kid or your students will turn out years from now? And when we focus on that, and there's broad consensus on those, I, I rattled off a few common responses a couple of minutes ago. We want our kids to be happy, caring, independent, ethical, and so on. The more you focus on that, the more you have to actively avoid the use of punishments and rewards, which get in the way of those things. It's not just that they're ineffective or only partly effective, it's that they're dangerous. So for example, a couple of studies have found that children who are frequently rewarded or praised are less generous than other children. They're more focused on naked self-interest. And that's not because of something about human nature. That's not a problem with that kid. That's because rewards and praise have trained children to ask, what do they want me to do? And what do I get for doing it? Even if it's just attention, acknowledgement, and approval. It's worse when you then add on, you get a sticker or a gold star or a candy bar or a good grade or a toy or something like that. These things actively undermine the process of moral growth and social connection by which kids come to think about the impact of their action on others. Every time you say good job to a child who does what you like, you make that child a little more self-centered. Okay, let's unpack this. First of all, when he says the word dangerous, I'm like, yikes, so much fear-based information there. However, there are some things here that I'm like, okay, what you're looking for is not the extrinsic reward. You're looking for the intrinsic reward. I agree with that. That would be awesome if that's what we were cultivating. And when I'm looking at somebody like Dr. Michelle Borba, who has tons of awesome research on empathy, she wrote the book Unselfie, which I recommend. Her work has showed us that acknowledging kids' positive, kind, respectful behaviors helps build that internal reward system where they feel good when they do those things. So I disagree here with him again. Also, just personally, like if I do the dishes or I do something around the house, I would really love it if Zach says, hey, thanks so much for doing that. I really appreciate your help. I don't think that there's harm in that. And I'll go into this with him a little bit. Let's go back in. And this is part of a larger body of research that I've been reviewing for a long time, showing that rewards like punishments undermine interest in whatever it is that somebody gets rewarded for doing. So for example, if you give a kid a prize for reading a book, that child now just became a little less interested in reading because you've taught him that reading is just a means to an end. It's just, and I think this may be implicit in your question about process, you, now the kid sees it as something he wouldn't want to do, because if reading was fun, they wouldn't have to bribe me to, for doing it. And the same thing is true for drawing pictures. If you've got a gold star for drawing a picture, you have just devalued art. And if you praise a child 
for sharing her dessert with her friend or helping somebody, you have taught the child, don't help others when there's nothing in it for you. So rewards, just like punishments, are not only um, sort of disagreeable and problematic intrinsically because they're manipulative, they actively reframe kids' development in a way that undermines the very things we're trying to promote. What are your thoughts then on like words of affirmation or acknowledging kindness in the way of like, hey, thanks for holding that door open for me or something along those lines? I think that's a gray area. It depends first on what our motives are on saying it. If we're saying it just as a spontaneous and authentic expression of our appreciation, that's much better than when we do it in a deliberate way as positive reinforcement, hoping that this will cause the child to act that way again. If it's the latter, it's inauthentic and it's controlling. The second um, question I would ask in a given instance of this is not just how we intended it, but how the child experiences it. So our conscience may be clear because we say, well, no, I really was just impressed with what the kid did. I meant it when I said that's amazing or thanks for doing it or whatever. But if the child sees it as controlling, if the child starts to become more dependent on getting that reaction from us in the future, if the child starts becoming less interested in or excited by the activity itself, now it's just seen as a way to get that reaction from mommy or daddy or the teacher, then there's a problem regardless of how we intended it. So I think we have to be very careful about that, especially with children where there's a difference between, between us. Uh, we're not symmetrical. I mean, if, if you, as an adult, said to me, uh, I read your book and, and I liked it, I thought it was very helpful, you know, that wouldn't be very helpful to me. It doesn't give me any informational feedback, but I wouldn't say, don't praise me. You know, um, I'd say, well, thanks. Um, but when an, an adult praises a child who is dependent, especially on an adult like a parent or to a lesser extent a teacher, um, for approval and, and emotional sustenance, that that's something that's very problematic. We have to be very careful about it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. So here it is, guys. It sounds like he doesn't believe in things, I would imagine, like words of affirmation, the love languages, which I was really hoping to get in there and ask another question, but there was not an opportunity to do so. Um, so I do, I do believe in the love languages. I do believe that we all receive love differently and figuring out how our kiddos best receive love is how I think we should be giving it. And if a child is desiring connection with us and they feel connected through words of affirmation, then absolutely I think we should be highlighting those things. I don't see a problem at all. In fact, I see only positives, especially when I'm looking at research on building empathy in kiddos. I am consistently seeing things like acknowledging these kind, respectful traits and just say, letting them know, I see you. Brene Brown's research has shown us that we all want to be seen and acknowledged and valued and telling kiddos, I see you and I value you and I'm acknowledging you, I think is really powerful. And so it's very different to say, you know, if a kid op opens a door for you, yeah, you react the same way as if another adult, you just say thank you. But when you make a big deal about it, then just changing the language from good job, I like the way you dot, 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 to calling it recognition or thanks or something like that may not substantively change what could be uh, dangerous about a potentially manipulative form of interaction. So what are the alternatives then to building this, the, the like feeling of being seen or heard as individuals? We're, we're social animals, we're driven for connection. How, what are the alternatives for, for building that? Um, first, you can just watch what a child is doing. Sometimes when we react, 
with the good job and the extravagant sort of praise, or any praise really. I'm not just arguing don't do it too much. I'm asking you to think about the motives for it and what's true of it inherently. But a lot of times when we react this way, it's more because we need to say it than because the kid needs to hear it. And whenever that's true, boy, is it time to rethink our practices. Um, sometimes we can just observe and the child knows we're there. Second possibility is we can offer just brief informational feedback. You know, when my daughter was, I don't know, a year and a half or so and climbed up the stairs her, herself the first time, you know, I didn't go, good job, or you're such a good climber, because that would be to steal her pleasure in her own accomplishment by pulling her into my face, that I've got to give her the patronizing pat on the head, that I appreciated it. So when she crawled to the top of the stairs, I just said, you did it. Suffice it to say that if Zach took out the garbage and recyclables for our family every week and I said, you did it, it would not go over very well. I made a simple statement. You know, she already knew she did it. But what I really meant was, hey, I noticed allowing her to decide whether to feel pride and pleasure. And by the way, the use of, of praise in particular, verbal rewards marinating people, children in it, helps to explain why so many adults, including in our society, especially women, I think. Right there, especially women, I think. Y'all, I had a rush of cortisol. I was like, excuse me, what are you about to tell me? Especially women, what? Let's dive back in. Continue to be dependent on the the acknowledgement and approval of people in whom they have vested more power before they can feel good about what they've done. And that's not what I want for my daughter. The alternative to praise is not sullen silence or criticism. It is maybe just informational feedback. By the way, when, my, when that same daughter of mine started drawing stuff that, um, and really got a kick out of drawing, I never offered judgment about it, which is what, oh, you're so colorful. Oh, you're such a good artist. That's not encouragement. That's judgment. I might instead have simply noticed out loud, oh, you've got, you've got toes on those, on those animals. I don't think you were drawing toes last week. And that pulls her into the drawing, whereas any kind of praise pulls her out of the drawing and into my face. And then the third alternative here, just in terms of our moment-by-moment -moment interaction, is to ask questions, questions we really care about, not, not contrived questions that an expert told you to ask, like, how did you figure out how to draw toes? Or why did you give half of your cupcake to Joanne? Because I know that kind of cupcake is your favorite where you're genuinely curious about this. That helps kids reflect on their experience and also feel valued in a way that judgment, whether it's positive or negative, never can do. I love the question asking part. I think so often we try to have the answer and I love pausing and asking kiddos questions. What do you think? I wonder why this happened. Hmm. 
I wonder what they're feeling. Just pausing and asking questions that get kiddos thinking rather than turning to us for the answer, I think is an awesome tool to use. Finally, in a broader sense, if we sort of pull the camera back here, I think the way to help kids feel valued and affirmed is not by anything we say to them. It's not by our behavior in the moment, and it's certainly not by some version of carrots or sticks. It's by giving kids more say about their lives. It's by telling less and asking more. It's by giving kids the opportunity to make decisions about the things that affect them, which communicates trust and respect and also helps them to reflect. Kids, kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. And so with that broad dichotomy I sketched out at the beginning, helping kids to to choose things that mattered to them instead of our just telling them is part of what I called a working with approach. Whereas consequences and positive reinforcement, including praise, are very much part of the doing to approach. I love the asking questions. That was one of my favorite parts of what you just said. I think that it makes kids also participate in reflective practice, right? Something that I think can benefit all of us. Um, so what do you do then if you're a parent and your child's school or your child's classroom is using behavior charts, like reward punishment behavior charts? What do you, how do you approach that as a parent? Well, first, you have to be absolutely clear in your mind about why it is so objectionable. Um, you have to see this as a serious problem to a child's, uh, to the way we're treating children. It's, it's extremely disrespectful, and it's likely to be counterproductive, not merely ineffective. And you need to have not only the arguments against it to understand why it's a problem, but to also understand that the research is on your side. You know, when people say studies show that positive reinforcement if done on a certain schedule or in a particular way can be, quote, effective, you need to press and say, what do you mean by effective? Because this is basically coming from behaviorism the, and the work of B.F. Skinner, who did most of his research with rodents and pigeons and then wrote most of his books about people. Um, by, by effective, we usually mean A, something temporary, B, something on the surface, only behavioral, and C, only at getting mindless obedience, not the larger project of helping kids become good people. Now, um, anything that I've written that's on my website, alfiecone.org, is fully available for people to crib from, steal from, share, whatever, in the process of helping others to come along and understand why behavior charts are a lousy way to raise a child. They're, they're about ways of training a kid to do what you want, not supporting a kid in becoming you know, a social being, a moral thinker, uh, um, an intellectual subject, and so on. Pause and breathe. 
because that statement was laced with a lot of shame and a lot of should. And I don't think it's that easy to screw up a human. I don't think it's that easy to get derailed. I believe in intention over perfection. And I think if there was one perfect way to do all of this for every kid that universally worked for every kid, every family unit, etc., that book would be off the charts recommended because it would universally work for all. I I'm not a giant fan of behavior charts. I agree with him here in some respects. And also, if you have used behavior charts, I don't think that you're ruining a child. I think it's working towards a child achieving something for an extrinsic reward. And my ultimate goal is to foster that intrinsic motivation here. And also recognize that we live in a world that operates from extrinsic rewards. That if the idea of like working harder at something to get a raise or to get an accolade, and that if you do something quote unquote wrong or you break the rules, then there's a punishment. We live in a system that operates in this fashion. And so I think having kiddos understand that those things also exist is huge. I also, when he was talking about choice, want to note, I believe in helping kids have access to a choice for how something might happen, but not necessarily whether or not it will. I think it's our job as adults because we have a fully developed prefrontal cortex and more lived experience to do things like make sure a kid is in a car seat when they're in a car. It's not their choice as to whether or not they want to be in the car seat. Their choice is how they get there. Would you like to climb in or should I put you in your car seat? I'm going to count to five. You can either climb in or I'll pick you up and put you in. So we're giving them choice. Would you like to come to the diaper table or should I come pick you up? I'm going to count to five. We're giving them choice into how they get there, But I believe that boundaries should be set and held because we have a fully developed prefrontal cortex and more lived experience to be able to make choices for their well-being that they are not able to make yet. How you make the case to somebody who's using a behavior chart, a teacher if you're a parent, or a parent if you're a teacher, because I've I've gotten complaints from both sides about the other, um, that's something that I find very difficult to advise in a one-size-fits-all way, because it depends on who the person is who's using the chart, why the person is doing that, how open she is to research and challenging arguments, what kind of relationship you have with that person, uh, what your tolerance for risk is in raising objections, how many other people you can bring along, for example, other parents to come in with you to talk respectfully but pointedly to a teacher. You know, that all, I mean, I get emails constantly from people saying, what do I do about their treating this child, my child this way? And it, it depends on the specifics. I can tell you that it doesn't make sense to use behavior charts or other um, outgrowths of behaviorism. I can tell you why, I can show you the research, 
But in terms of how best and when and with whom to frame the case against them, that will depend on the specifics of your circumstances. And I, I hear this from teachers a lot. They, I like that you brought up the like quote unquote effectiveness that like it, there's such a focus on classroom management. And I, my master's is in early childhood as well. And I experienced classes where there was this focus on how to manage and what they're saying is control That's a right. classroom. And yeah, the, the book I wrote a few years ago called Beyond Discipline, I, I, I described uh, pretty seriously as a modest attempt to overthrow the entire field of classroom management. Good. <laughs> I like um, that. It, it doesn't mean that we, unless you're going to redefine the word to mean something much broader and more innocuous, where it's how do you help a classroom achieve its goals and deal with problems and help with kids who are struggling or can't control their temper or don't know how to take turns? You know, well, then sure. Then the question is, do you do it in a working with way, creating a caring classroom community, supporting kids in their interests, giving kids individually and collectively more say about what they're doing? Yeah, if you want to call that classroom management, sure, then I'll show you the working with way. But I think what you're picking up on, which I have too, is that often that phrase is uh, synonymous with a doing to approach, with how to be in control of the classroom and stamp out problems. And typically that involves variations of bribes and threats. Yeah, and I think that so for teachers who are tuning into this, this may be new for them and perhaps yeah. their schooling has taught them about classroom management in the way that I also learned about classroom management originally. And that might sure. be the tool that they have in their toolbox. So where do they kind of go from here? How would you start? Um, well, by visiting uh, classrooms that look very different by by finding colleagues of theirs who may be a little bit ahead of them on this journey and who have thrown away the stickers and the praise and the timeout corner um, and, and all of the other apparatuses that we were raised to think are useful or even necessary and see how these other people are managing to do it in a working with way. And there are videos and articles and books and so on. And, you know, I've written a few and there have other people have as well. Uh, so that, you know, somebody might say, uh, this is new to me. I don't know how this works. Uh, I'm skeptical. Show me, especially given this one kid I have who I spend half my evenings thinking about <laughs> how to solve the problem, you know, where you can say, I don't know how to do it. Oh, that's fair. And if you were never given the guidance and the coaching to work with kids instead of manipulating them, you need help. And, it, you know, I'm not blaming you. But we have to be careful about people who have this knee-jerk response where they're threatened by a critique like this and say, well, that sounds nice in theory. You know, I find the people who say that really don't even like the theory. Um, <laughs> or claim that it's impossible or unrealistic because they're really just reflecting that they themselves are upset by the fact that someone's saying you're hurting kids even though that's not what you mean to do. And the alternative may be unfamiliar to you, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it's unrealistic because there are people out there who've been doing it for decades. And so examples of how to do it can sort of 
put to rest the myth that with some kids, you need to treat them like pets or you need to do this good job. And it's when you start to, to see it this way, that sound of that squeaky, saccharine, forced, manipulative praise starts to be like fingernails being dragged down a blackboard, especially when you compare it to people who are authentic and respectful and trusting of kids um, and are able to respond to problems by saying, how are we going to figure this out together? And in in the process, how do I teach? Some of the people in early childhood education from whom I've learned the most, uh, people like like Lily and Katz um, or um, uh, Vivian Gusson Paley, who just died, um, the author of books like You Can't Say You, you Can't Play. Um, these people, one by one, have just talked about how in the early stages of their career, they would do things like give kids timeouts, and each of them independently came to the realization that is no way to treat a child, especially a timeout in a classroom. Um, and what that says to the child by stigmatizing him or her in front of the peers, how horrendously um, disrespectful it is and how it's frightening to the very children watching it in whose behalf, in whose name you claim to be acting, the so-called good kids, by which we often mean just mindlessly obedient kids, who see a kid being treated that way and feel a little less safe, less part of a caring community. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. 
Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Teachers who do this, who use praise and stickers and then some of the awful systems now, behaviorist systems being used in K-12 classrooms, like positive behavior support, PBIS and class dojo and accelerated reader, all of which are just full strength train them like their pets behaviorism the the teachers who are doing stuff like this are often just doing it because they didn't know there was an alternative and because they didn't look beyond the goal of temporarily buying a behavior to see the effect on the children themselves again i agree here that timeouts and punishments for having emotions or feelings or reactions in the classroom are not the way to go. I also think there's a a less shameful way to deliver that information. And I think a huge part of this is that instead of just saying, don't do these things, we collectively have got to be saying, here are other things you can do. And that's what I love about this work is being able to support parents, teachers, and caregivers with what you can do and not just saying, don't do this because it'll ruin your kids. If you are doing timeouts in your classroom or you have punishment reward systems If you're doing things like red light, yellow light, green light, like they were on red today because they expressed or felt emotions and you don't know what else to do, babe, I gotcha. I am happy to support you. It's okay to say, hey, I've been doing it this way and I want to learn something else. When I started teaching, I 100% used behavior management because I didn't know any better. And as I built my skill set and as I've learned more about emotional development and the crucial role that it plays in us being social beings, my entire practice changed. But it for sure started with me not knowing and using behavior systems. If you're in that boat and you want support in changing, holler at your girl. We have tools for you. Mama's Getaway Weekend tickets are officially live. And guys, for the month of December, you can get $100 off your ticket with the code EARLYBIRD. So what's Mama's Getaway, you might be asking? Don't you worry, babe. I got you. Mama's Getaway Weekend is a weekend where moms gather together for four workshops with me. We dive into reparenting your adult self, Who are you? How'd you get here? We talk about things like anxiety and guilt and how to navigate these bad boys. We look at our own adult emotion processing so that we can learn how to regulate and respond with intention rather than reacting. 
we look at, okay, great. Now what if you're regulated? How do you actually respond to these tiny humans? We go in depth on how to build emotional intelligence. We also talk about co-parenting and what it looks like if you're coming at this thing with different approaches or maybe you had different upbringings, different opinions on how to handle some stuff. How do you navigate that? What do you do about conflict? And then before you go home, we create a concrete, tangible plan for you to implement when you get back there. Because if you're anything like me, I would go to like conferences and I'd get super jazzed and all pumped up and then I'd go back home and I would just fall right back into old patterns and habits and routines. And so this plan that we create together is customized for your family unit so that you have tangible tips and tricks to start to implement right when you get home. Guys, I want to help you really enjoy this journey. I want you to feel like you are enough because babe, I know that you are. I see you all the time. I see you putting in the work and the effort to build your toolbox so that you can show up as the person, parent, partner that you want to be. This weekend is my absolute favorite weekend. We also are going to have a couple guest workshops where we're talking about sensory regulation in these tiny humans and how to help these kiddos build a healthy relationship with food. If you are ready to dive in and snag your ticket, head over to mamasgetawayweekend.com to grab it while this deal is smoking hot. For $100 off, put in the code EARLYBIRD and act fast. This is for a limited time only. Come join us in San Diego, California, April 25th and 26th. Can't wait to see you there, sis. So for folks, I know you have limited time, so I want to be respectful of that. For folks who are interested in diving more in depth to your work, where can they find your books and and everything that you have to offer? Uh, my website would be the most efficient way. It's if you can spell my name, you're there. A L F I E K O H N dot org. And that contains information about my various books and a couple of DVDs, but it mostly has hundreds of articles that are all free for the taking. Um, and including some of the work we haven't had a chance to, to talk about, um, and by the way, these books also contain references to the work of other people from whom I've learned so much, including early childhood specialists, people who specialize in working with parents as well as with teachers and so on. But there's one more quick twist to this that I probably should stick in before we wrap up. Years after I wrote a book about the destructive effects of rewards and how they undermine the intrinsic motivation, the desire to do stuff, whether it's helping or reading or whatever, I came to realize that things like timeout and praise are destructive for a whole different reason, which I will try to summarize very quickly now. What kids need is not just to be cared about and loved by us. They need to be cared about and loved unconditionally, which means for who they are, not for what they do, with no strings attached. Kids need to know that we, we don't stop loving them even when they um, 
fall short or screw up. In fact, they may need our care even more then. Praise, positive reinforcement, is the opposite of that. It says to kids, when you please me or impress me, then I give you a high five, a smile, uh, a hug, uh, whatever. Uh, then you get something from me. When you don't do the things I like, I will withdraw that care and that attention. So on, the, on one side, it's praise. On the flip side, it's time out. And both of those are ways of offering conditional affection. Love with strings attached. That's the opposite of what kids need for healthy flourishing. So part of what we need to do as parents and teachers is not only shift from what I call doing to to working with, not only to get rid of rewards and punishments, but to think about it in terms of moving from conditional to unconditional acceptance. It doesn't mean that we don't step in and help when there's a problem. It doesn't mean we let everything go or that we approve of all actions. It means we solve problems when they occur, but the overriding message kids need to get from us is we will never turn down or turn off our care for them as if we were turning off water in a, in a faucet, that we still and always care about them. So there's two important reasons to move away, well, three important reasons to move away from things like behavior charts and praise. One is they're just fundamentally manipulative and obnoxious. Two, they not only don't work, they make things worse from a practical point of view, and research supports that. And third, they represent conditional caring, which is psychologically the opposite of what we ought to be providing to them. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing about your experience and your resources and all these things that people get to feed off of now. Thanks for your time today. I'm really, really grateful that you shared it with us. My pleasure. I appreciate your interest. The ending here on unconditional love is my favorite message within this. I don't think that this means that we don't set and hold boundaries. It doesn't mean that you as a parent don't feel frustrated and disappointed and proud and excited. You can feel all those feelings too. Ultimately, for me, what this means is that kiddos know that even when you're frustrated, you love them. And it's a fine line here, and it's I think it can be a hard message to send, and I think the way that he delivers this makes it sound easy, and it's not. It's not. It requires intention, but not perfection. This is not about perfection, guys. I think of this as those moments where maybe somebody hit their sibling, and when you are supporting the kid who hit somebody else, you're letting them know, I know that you're a kind human. I know that you didn't want to hurt her. That you love them and you trust who they are at the core and that you know that they experienced or are experiencing a hard emotion and they reacted. That they didn't respond with intention. They reacted and that that's a skill you can continue to work on. It is hard 
until you as an adult are like, oh yeah, I'm responding with intention every time, man, we can't expect that from kids. This is not about perfection. It's about intention. And we can continue to work on our own response instead of reaction, on self-awareness and self-regulating so that you can respond with intention to model that for kids. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's not okay to hit somebody else. I know that you don't want to hit someone. I know it feels crummy afterward. I will always love you. And because I love you, I'm going to sit here with you. I'm going to help you figure out another way to express that emotion when you're feeling it. We get to support them even when it's hard. I'm so grateful to all of you who are investing the time and the energy into parenting and teaching and being a caregiver with intention. As you move forward, I know that y'all might be leaving this episode with some hard feelings. And I want you to sit with them. I want you to take a good look at it. And maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by it. Maybe you're feeling guilty. Maybe you're feeling annoyed or frustrated. Take a good hard look at that and let's dive deeper. Do you feel like you need more support? Do you feel like you need more tools in your toolbox? I'm happy to support you. One of my absolute favorite things is diving really deep in this, is taking a good hard look at what are our patterns and behaviors and habits from our own experiences, from our childhood? What are we coming to adulthood with? And then how do we learn how to build self-awareness and self-regulation so that we can respond with intention? We are diving deep at Mama's Getaway in San Diego in April You get four workshops with me and two guest workshops and the time and space away from your everyday life to really dive into this work, to create a plan for yourself that you can start to implement to make change in your own reaction patterns. For a limited time right now in December, you can get $100 off your ticket. Head to mamasgetawayweekend.com and you can find out all the details there and snag your spot because doing this work, man, it takes it takes work. It takes intention and I'm here to guide you through it, babe. You do not have to navigate this alone. Mamasgetawayweekend.com. I can't wait to dive into this in real life with you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 